Anthony Scaramucci, always a pleasure to have you on Real Vision, founder and managing partner at Skybridge Capital. Welcome back to the show. It is a pleasure to be here, Ash. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for coming to our conference uh, last month. Talking of which, Anthony, so much to talk about today. So curious to get your key takeaways about what's happening in the digital uh, asset space, blockchain, crypto, as well as the traditional side, macro capital markets. Give us a sense of what your key takeaways were this year. Uh, well, I, I would say, you know, because I think about this a lot and I just had the opportunity to watch all 65 panels. Unfortunately, when I'm at the conference, Ash, I'm like the cadaver at the wake, but I'm also the bride at the uh, wedding. So it's a it's a difficult for me to, to watch everything. But after digesting everything, I would say my three takeaways are the hedge fund managers are moving. They've decided that they're no longer machetes, but they're Swiss army knives, and they need to adapt to the new world, and they need to get involved in the blockchain, and they get it in programmable biology and other fast-growing areas of the society that they wouldn't traditionally be in. And so the, the smarter ones are moving. More and more of them are going to look like Tiger Global, which is that hybrid model. Second thing I would say that if you, if you sat in on our blockchain presentations and you had some of the smartest people in the world discussing it, whether it was Sam Bankman-Fried or Wences Cesaris or Pete Brigger, I mean, I could name everybody, uh, Kathy Wood from Mark Asset Management, uh, I think they would let you know that the Luddites, uh, which would include people like Jamie Dimon and Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, have totally got this wrong and they need to you know, you need to be a part of the blockchain. And I would say to your listeners and viewers that to really understand it is to see it as a delayering mechanism for our society and for our economy. And so that all of the middlemen that we've traditionally had for 5,000 plus years, uh, you can start to delayer them and you and I can actually transact with each other. Uh, and we don't necessarily have to know each other or trust each other uh, but we have this formidable software technology known as the blockchain uh, where we can get those things done. And I think that will be transformative to the society in ways that people don't fully understand yet. And so that was another key takeaway. My last takeaway is that we've got to avoid uh, killing each other. OK, so that's either through a war. we got to not fight over the island of Taiwan. We've got to try to figure out a way to slow down the ecological destruction of the planet. And if we can find a way not to kill each other, well, we're probably going to live a lot longer and a lot healthier than we originally thought growing up. And certainly uh, uh, to the great surprise of our grandparents, I think we're just going to have longer, happier, healthier lives. Those are my takeaways. Other than the fact that, uh, you know, thank God nobody got sick. I was also worried about that, Ash. I think we had a a really good environment. And Dr. Scott Gottlieb said that it was, you know, we used all the right safety protocols for this uh, current pandemic that we're in. So thank God for that. Yeah, Anthony, it's absolutely fascinating. Let's walk through those takeaways one at a time, because I actually came away with some similar conclusions. The fascinating thing to me about SALT was your first point, seeing hedge fund managers hanging out, talking to these young 20-something-year-old kids in T-shirts. Uh, it was like a kind of a, a culture, uh, you know, sort of reunion. Like you saw these groups of people who don't historically talk to each other having that conversation. Tell us about what you thought when you saw these groups. And it was obviously very much uh, something that you guys had in mind because you had obviously all of the traditional hedge fund managers there, but you also had these young uh, guys and gals who were developing software, creating protocols, building open source. I mean, it was really just a fascinating thing to see. Well, listen, I appreciate that because we, we spent a lot of time on the editorial construction of those events. And it's reminiscent to me of uh, what a good uh, producer would say about a television show. You know, the uh, Meet the Press is the oldest running show in the United States now. It got started in 1947. So you've got 74 years in. And why can it stay like that? Saturday Night Live is an example of that. The Today Show, Tonight Show, is because you can embrace what's going on in the world and you can reflect it back through your programming. And so... I have really tried to spend a lot of time listening to different people 
in our industry, but then also saying, okay, what are the people in our industry missing? And so I don't know if you sat in on the, uh, the guys in pro- programmable biology, but they basically have now figured out a way to use enzymes and plant-based protein and convert them into whey-based protein without all the carbon admission necessary to create cows. And when you stop and think about that, uh, if they're successful in doing this, this sort of programmable biology, you'll cut carbon emissions on the planet in the next five years by about 31%, and then the planet itself can start to heal. And so uh, do my old fart hedge fund managers, and again, I would put myself in the category of an old fart at this point, know that? No, they do not know that. So putting that stuff on the program forces them at least to have some of their people or themselves see that. Secondarily, uh, we're talking about with the blockchain, uh, just imagine guys in my industry that have made a ton of money. They've done it traditionally. They've arbitraged bonds. They were in the convertible bond space. They were in you know, the long short equity space, or maybe they bought into the, you know, the private equity phenomenon related to fintech, but they don't really have any understanding of what's going on on the blockchain. And they're sitting there, uh, Mark Lazary, you know, he, he took a pile of these books. I said, what are you, you too cheap to buy these books? By the way, no one's ever bought one of my books, Ash. Okay. They're all international bestsellers. If you don't believe me, come into my basement. I'll show you every copy that I had to buy to make it an international bestseller. But but he was taking them out of the the office. I was like, okay, this is a great sign that we're onto something, that we're showing people or we're giving people the opportunity to learn something that they would not have learned on their own. Uh, and that is the whole genesis of the ideas behind the editorial content of Salt. It's almost as if it's uh, the meeting of this sort of traditional financial world. You and I, Anthony, have both been to a lot of financial conferences, but the blending in with science, technology, engineering, and now increasingly blockchain and digital assets. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, here's the thing, Ash, we could be five years from now, we'll be talking about something totally different. We may be talking about space colonization in five years. We may be talking about, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you, you, you saw the Michio Kaku uh, lunch, uh, but, you know, he was asked about these unexplained aerial phenomenons that we're uh, looking at, these UAFs, or as you and I used to call them in the old-fashioned days, uh, UFOs. And who knows? Who knows what we'll be talking about in five years? You know, and so this, this is a uh, exciting time for everybody. Um, flip side is, is that, uh, there's some FOMO going on, uh, somebody doesn't understand the blockchain or hasn't spent time to look at the properties of something like a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or understand the NFT market, man, I'll tell you, they're, they're going to miss a lot. So, so I'm hoping to put that in people's faces and give them the opportunity at least to learn about it. I always tell people, listen, you don't have to invest in it. I get that, but you have to learn about it. You know, one of the people, I've never met him, but I have such admiration and respect as Charlie Munger. He's 97 years old. He's written uh, Poor Charlie's Almanac, among other things. Uh, he's a brilliant person. He's obviously been Warren Buffett's sidekick for 60 years. Uh, for him to call it the worst thing that's happened to the civilization is a sign that he hasn't done the homework. And I know that if he did the homework, he would feel very differently about it. Ray Dalio didn't like Bitcoin or the blockchain did the homework, bought some. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones, Stan Druckenmiller. I can give you a list of people, Dan Loeb, Steve Cohen. Uh, you know, I started out as a skeptic. I'm not a Bitcoin evangelist. I'm not a blockchain evangelist. I'm a blockchain understander and investor. I don't think Jesus and Moses got together and made a baby and they named the baby Bitcoin. I mean, that's not me. I'm a guy that just believes that this is going to move and advance the world forward and once you understand that, you've got to be a part of it. You mentioned the Tiger Global model as being one that's rising. For people who don't know what that means, give a little bit of context for us. So, I mean, you know, basically traditional hedge fund managers, give me your money. You have a quarterly lockup, a one-year lockup. Uh, you don't like my performance. We'll give you the money back. Uh, what Tiger Global did, Chase Coleman and his team, is they recognized that they had – 
scale and great relationships in the private equity world and the venture capital world in addition to their hedge fund investing. And so guys like KOTU or Tiger Global, uh, what they basically decided to do is uh, put a portion of their assets in that sort of a situation. And if you study Steve Cohen or you study Dan Loeb or any of these investors, they've they've sort of adopted this hybrid model. Now, same thing could be said for Skybridge. You know, I my my Series G fund, which has probably about three billion dollars of assets in it, I would say a good five percent of that fund now has some privates in there, which would include Chime, uh, the Neo Bank, uh, FTX, uh, Sam Bankman Fried's uh, exchange. It would include things like Klarna, the Buy Now Pay Later company, Plaid. Uh, the software uh, interface for the fintech world. Um, and, and, and to me, I think those will be home runs because they're very, very fast growing and they'll accelerate out of the box with decent IPOs with good valuations. And my clients will be benefiting from that. And, and again, they're sized appropriately. So if there's a liquidity issue and people want out of the fund, obviously they can take it. And frankly, if you looked at my holdings and my partner's holdings, we could take the privates for ourselves and give everybody else the cash that they need. So I always make sure that they're sized appropriately. But I think that model is going to continue. And I think that, uh, you know, listen, somebody like Kathy Wood is an example. You know, she is locked into the growth areas. Um, And I would tell your viewers and listeners this, okay, Elon Musk is a visionary. You don't have to like every aspect of his personality. You may not like some of his tweets. You may not like uh, perhaps business practices, his social. I don't know. I'm not here to opine on that. But what I am here to say is screen out for all of that and listen to what this guy is doing and listen to where he's going and think about what SpaceX and the global satellite uh, distribution that he's creating, uh, th- this is going to be revolutionary. You know, you're going to have 5G internet speeds at the top of Mount Everest uh, before the decade is out. And and for me, I look at that and say, uh, what does that going to mean for the world? What does that mean for education? What does that mean for eliminating and eradicating poverty? You know, the the great great thing about our planet, Ash, I don't want to be overly philosophical. We've got everything. We've got everything we need. Okay, we have to figure out a way to preserve it. We have to keep figure out a way to shift it, the resources in a way where we're expanding opportunity and abundance for a larger group of people. Uh, but it's just this wonderful ecological miracle that we're all sitting upon. And when you think of guys, guys like Elon Musk or you think of a guy like a Jack Dorsey, spend the time to hear what they're doing, spend the time to listen to what they're saying. Kathy Wood is an example of that as well. I mean, she's got a great vision for what's going on. Um, these people are uh, seeing your future and my future. They're working on things that you and I are going to be deploying five years from now in our homes, on our smartphones, uh, in our banks. You know, you know, it's just, it's just to me. Um, I, I, I encourage young people and old people. Let's get with the program. You know. Coinbase a month ago, you could have bought as much Coinbase as you wanted at $220 a share. And today it's $300 this morning. And, you know, maybe it'll go back down. I'm not saying, you know, but if you looked at the properties of Coinbase, the brand, the scale, the throughput of revenues and its growth, and you look at this astonishing management team uh, being run by Brian Armstrong, how could you not want to own a little bit of Coinbase? I mean, to, to me, I'm I'm blown away by Coinbase. So so learn, push yourself, um, and you know, read Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. Understand why guys like me and Silvio Macaulay, the MIT professor, like uh, the properties of Algorand. You know, uh, Gary Gensler uh, once said before he took his political job at the SEC that you could run Uber off of Algorand. You could run Goldman Sachs off of Algorand and understand why, understand the transaction speeds. You know, the NASDAQ right now is running 1,200 transactions per second. 
some of these blockchains can run 50, 60, 70,000 transactions per second. Just think about the cutting of the tape. Think about the efficiency. Um, and I'll say something that startled me when I first heard it. And I said, no, that can't be right. But I'll share it with you is someday I'm going to create my identity from the blockchain. And it'll either be a QR code or it'll be an NFT or whatever the hell it'll be. And it'll be accepted by everybody. I won't have to have my government issue me my identity. I can self-identify because of the properties associated with the blockchain. And so this is one of the reasons why probably the Chinese are so upset about the blockchain. They want to, they want to kick everything out of the country. But but this is a libertarian ideal. This is a individual freedom uh, idea. And the more you understand it um, as an investor, uh, the better off you're going to be. We're, we're, we're so early. Okay. Uh, Ralph Paul, I mean, he asked me once how early. I said, we're not even out of spring train. I mean, we, we haven't even got pitchers and catchers. Okay. But to use a sports metaphor, we're not even through spring training. So we, you can't even talk about what inning we're in. We're not, we, didn't get even, we didn't even get to the opening day uh, in terms of the market saturation, the understanding, and where we are. And so this is why I love people like you, because you're, you're helping to force the conversation and you're pushing people to at least uh, their intellectual horizon. You know, go to the edge of your intellectual horizon. You don't know everything. You're not the smartest person. I'm certainly not the smartest person. But man, I want to learn from all these smart people. I want to avail myself to what they're doing and wh why they're doing it. Yeah, especially in this space, it is just incredibly humbling to work here every day and to see how many smart people, uh, young guys and gals especially, uh, around the world are working on this to build this next generation infrastructure. Anthony, in point two, you were talking a little bit about this idea of de-layering, of removing middlemen, uh, of building an environment that can function in a way that's trustless uh, so that you don't necessarily have to trust me, I don't necessarily have to trust you, and yet we can still transact on these ledgers. Give us a little bit of a sense of what you think that world may look like. Okay, so let me take you to 1975, okay? I'm 11 years old. I got my paper route up and running. My grandfather, Augustine, is walking me up Main Street in Port Washington to the first federal savings and loan. And I'm putting, and he, he was a guy who told me, he, his lucky number was 13. And he said, you're gonna put $13 in this savings account, and if you do that, someday you're going to be a millionaire. And at that time, being a millionaire was a big deal, particularly in my family. You know, we had no money. We we're all blue collar people. And so I walked up there and I put my thing and they gave me the passbook and they stamped it. There was a teller there. Let's go over everything. You know, you've got to, I walked there because it was close. But if you're driving there, you're admitting carbon. Then you're standing online. The teller is admitting carbon on the way there. You're heating the place in the Winter, you're cooling it off in the summer, and we're all waiting online to do our banking transaction. Oh, by the way, if I don't have enough money in the bank, they're going to charge me a minimum fee just to give me the privilege of having a bank account at their at their bank. And you and I both know once my money goes to them, it is no longer my money. I'm a nominee for the money. That money is now in the assets of the bank, and they're using it to trade or lend money. And God forbid, if the bank goes belly up, I may or may not be able to get my money back out of the bank. And of course, the FDIC will insure it. But that's where we are in 1975. Now, we can fast forward to where we are today. We've got Venmo, and we've got Zelle, and we've got some ability to move money electronically. And so we may not have to drive over to the bank anymore but they still have that brick and mortar footprint all over the country. Think of the Chase, Wells Fargo, TD. Think of all the bank branches that are out there. And I want you to fast forward 20 short years from now. Will we need all of that infrastructure? Will we need all of that carbon emission to do our banking? And I would say that we're not going to need that. We're going to have a smart wallet. We already do. We're gonna have a device on our phone we're going to have cryptocurrencies and digital currencies embedded in our phone, and we will be able to bank ourselves. And if we make a decision that we want to send some money to BlockFi or to Chase to earn a return off of that money, well, we'll make that decision. 
Uh, if I want to buy a Mercedes Benz, I will be able to walk into the dealership and say, okay, I'm going to transfer the money from this smartphone to your wallet, wherever it may be on your server, and then you're going to deliver me the car. And I, if you just stop and think about that delayering, uh, that is a redeployment of resources that goes to the rest of the society, which will once again quantumly lift the society. I want to make one last point. I think this is very important. Think about the notion that uh, we could do everything that way. I buy my deodorant right now from Amazon. I use RightGuard Cool Wave in case you want to give me a Christmas gift. And, and so I buy it through Amazon. Uh, but someday I may buy it directly from Procter & Gamble because of the blockchain. Why? Because it's costless. They're not interested in selling me one stick of RightGuard. But if it's completely costless to them and they can drop ship it to me the same way Amazon's drop shipping it to me right. um, and we're doing it over the blockchain, we could take out third parties as big as Amazon. You could take out third parties as big as Facebook. We could we could decentralize our social media and we could do it over the blockchain. And, and by the way, there's a great book on this I'm reading right now, which I'd recommend to people. It's called The Blockchain Wars, The Future of Big Tech Monopolies. I've encouraged people to look through this. This is potentially where the future is going as a result of the blockchain. And, and that means more time with your family, maybe more time to doom scroll the internet. I don't know, whatever you guys want to do. But it, it means that we can once again transform the world in terms of its efficiency and in terms of uh, our freedom. It's almost as though the paradigm, the narrative changes more slowly than the technology. I'll give you one example. Uh, my mother's office, if you wanted to work from home one day a week, there was like a 30-day training program that you had to do. You had to do this. You had to do that. Uh, the management thought working from home wasn't as efficient. People weren't going to collaborate. Well, guess what? We have this terrible tragedy called COVID, and now suddenly no one has a choice except to work from home. Miraculously, you go from basically uh, a company where 95% of the people are in every day uh, and you transmission it or transfer, uh, you know, you transfer it over to a totally virtualized organization. And guess what? The work still gets done. The technology has been there from some time, but the paradigm, the narrative changes more slowly. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally agree with that. You know, I, I would tell you that uh, um, I was watching the typewriter business die when I was in college and um, I had the choice, I didn't have the money at the time, I had the choice to buy an Apple Macintosh computer uh, that had Word on it, Microsoft Word um, or WordPerfect. I don't know if you remember those softwares or I could buy myself an, a Panasonic electric computer. Okay, those were my two choices. And the Panasonic computer was 200, I mean, the, the typewriter was $200 and the and the Mac was a thousand. I opted incorrectly for the Panasonic. I didn't have the money at the time, and I regretted it. And then I had to go out and buy the Mac anyway. But but the point being is that we're we're stuck for an interregnum period of time with the old world. We do not like change as a group of people, and we scoff at it. And also, we have this generational dilemma going on where when we're in our twenties and thirties, we're way smarter than our parents. And when we're when our 50s and 60s, our children are way dumber than us. They don't know what the hell's going on. We know everything. And what I try to do is I try to caution people and say, listen, you may know through your experience more than your kids in certain ways, but they see the future. They're operating in a world where they don't even know what a rotary phone was. That's like something that's in the Smithsonian if they went on a field trip and they don't they don't get it where you are. And a result of which they're going to take us in a totally different place than you're comfortable with. It's the same thing that my mother, 84 years old, she came home and I think she played a, you know, Chuck Berry or some, I don't know, some rock and roll music. And it was the 1950s. And my grandfather was like, get the hell out of the house. You know, he wanted to hear like uh, one of the bands from the 40s. You know, what are you doing with this music? Okay. And we do it to ourselves. And I would just caution people. Pick up the phone and talk to your kids 
about what they're doing, what technology they're doing, what video games they're in. You know, when you and I sit there and we're like, well, okay, so that NFT went for what? $69 million. Okay, why did that happen? Well, wait a minute. There's a multiverse of realities for a generation of people. My 22-year-old is in our world, but he's also in Fortnite's world. He's in the Call of Duty world. He can put on the Oculus device and he's now in a different world. He can create a community in Roblox and have his own avatar. And so if I buy him an NFT that gives him this representation, he could put that on the wall in his new Roblox house. Or if I buy him a skin from an NFT, he can wear that shirt in a Call of Duty fight. He said, okay, Anthony, what the hell are you talking about? What am I talking about? These people think in a multidimensional universes. They don't just think about the real and temporal world. And so when you think about that, there are infinite possibilities for value. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this and and because you asked me about the Saul conference, that's my reaction to the Saul conference. Yeah. I got done with those 65 presentations and I said, okay, I got to start rethinking the way I'm thinking. I've got to freshen up I've got to hit control, alt, delete on my human computer and what I'm doing during the day. And I've got to freshen up the software in my brain uh, to upgrade it to the version of the operating system that these kids are on right now if I want to compete. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I think that's so true. The single biggest divide here is uh, along generational lines. It's fascinating when I talk to people in their 20s uh, and just hear how they see the world. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned this paradigm shift. You mentioned the new way that you're thinking about the world. What are some of those adjustments that you're making? Uh, and how is that something that other people can sort of piggyback on and follow? Well, I would I would tell them to tune into you. I mean, number one, you got to tune into people like you. You have to uh, go to your kids, ask them what they're working on and why. And you have to say, okay, well, let's say something I hate. Let's say I'm Charlie Munger. I hate Bitcoin and I hate the blockchain. Well, uh, okay, do what Charlie Munger, the 50-year-old version of Charlie Munger would tell you to do. Understand the other side better than your own side. Make the argument for the other side. You don't like the blockchain. You hate Bitcoin. Okay, that's fine. Now make the argument for the other side. Open your mind. I mean, one of the things I learned in law school, which was very valuable, by the way, I mean, I... I, I really only learned three things in law school, so I'll tell you what they are. Okay, the first thing I learned was don't be a lawyer. That was the first thing I learned immediately. The second thing I learned was don't get into lawsuits. But the third thing, which is probably the most valuable, was take two opposing ideas, fact patterns, opinions, and synthesize them in your mind. Understand the other side of the argument. You don't like Bernie Sanders? Okay, got that. Understand where he's coming from. Okay. And, and same thing. You don't like Donald Trump? Okay. I got that. But where is he coming from relative to Bernie Sanders? So that you can then force yourself into a discomfort zone, not be pegged to one view or, okay, I don't like that guy's personality. So therefore, I'm not going to like anything the person says. And so for me, when I sit there and I look at what's going on, I'm like, okay, I may not like that. Okay. Uh, somebody said to me yesterday, well, we're going to spend trillions of dollars going to Mars. We've got so many problems on Earth, and why the hell are we doing that? And don't focus on Mars. Send a probe and have a, a robot crawl around on Mars. But I was trying to point out that if you embark upon that, there are all of these ridiculous positive externalities. Let's go to our own moonshot. And Douglas Brinkley, a few years ago, I think in 2019, on the anniversary of the moon landing, wrote about the Apollo program. Uh, Kennedy embarked upon it, said we were going to land there and inside the decade. They set that as a goal. They spent $25 billion, $1969. So in 2019 terms, it was a little over $200 billion. Yet the positive externalities in 2019 terms to the economy, $1.4 trillion. So yes, we picked up aluminum foil and tang and post-it notes. Those are fun things. But you got the GPS system, you got the satellite technology and the advances in our communication 
And of course, DARPA created the internet, which ended up exploding our uh, economy in terms of greater efficiencies and a lot more businesses and new jobs. And all of this stuff came from the moon landing. And it put the U.S. in a position of strength globally from a technological prowess perspective. And so I don't know if you saw this last week, but the Chinese launched a hypersonic missile at low altitude um, that would subvert all of our anti-ballistic missile technology. And it's moving obviously faster than the speed of sound. And to me, that tells you something about what the Chinese are doing. They are investing a tremendous amount of money in research and development. They could also perhaps be hacking ours and stealing it. I'm not saying that they're not doing that, but it's a combination of both. And so my point is, you know, don't be so close-minded. Understand that maybe going to Mars, okay, may look like a trifle, but underneath all of that, you're going to create technology, battery systems, water filtration, water recirculation, air recirculation systems that are going to transform our society once again. Yeah, and it's something that we've historically done so well in this country, which is investing uh, in technology, in basic research, research and development, uh, as well uh, as making these commitments to intergenerational infrastructure. Totally true. And look, I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting here today where uh, the Bitcoin futures are being launched. And so if you understand regulation, you're like, why the hell would they launch futures, not just the cash Bitcoin? Well, the Bitcoin futures, the futures market is re regulated by three or four different government agencies. And the big issue with uh, the ETF is price discovery. Bitcoin is not yet regulated. So we're going to be a while away from a Bitcoin cash ETF. But I applaud the government for saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to leave ourselves behind in this global race to the future. We're not going to disavow a new technology. Just imagine the United States said, okay, wait, 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 we got this horseless carriage concept. Okay. So what we can do is we can put a little bit of motor oil and gasoline in this combustion engine, and we can move ourselves around, which will create all of this, you know, urbanization movement, suburbanization. It'll create all this great economic growth, but we're not going to do it. Okay. We're disavowing the technology. So we're going to let China, the UK, all these other countries are going to transition from horse and buggies, but we're going to sit in the horse and buggy environment. Okay, we'll, we'll keep you posted. We're going to outlaw it. Think about that. We can't do that as a society. You know, I applaud Gensler for that, you know, and I would tell your people, your viewers and listeners, if you have the interest, download Gary Gensler's MIT lecture series on crypto and the blockchain because the cat understands it. He knows that it's going to be part of the future. He's a politician now, so he's got to wear a couple of different hats. and He's got to calm down these senators that don't understand. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, for all of her intelligence, she could be the least knowledgeable person in the U.S. Senate. She's a smart person. But I mean, you're, what are you doing? You're not doing any homework. You're just going to spit out pablum. And oh, by the way, you're supposed to represent the people that can't get a bank account or are getting gouged with interest rates. And you have a system right in front of you that can help millions of these underbanked people. And you're railing on it at a time when you should be supporting it because it has all of the properties of progressivism that you happen to like. And you, you really let me riff today, Ash. I'm, you know, I'm, like, I'm like, oh my, so I, didn't, I haven't even had a full, usually I have like four shots of espresso in the morning. I'm not even on shot number one. I'm still draining the cup. You got me riffing. That's what we do here, Tony. I like it. You know, it's so interesting. One of the people who's shaped my view of technology is the late Harvard professor, uh, Clayton Christensen, sure. who talks about the nature of innovation. And one of the fascinating things that he writes about, and I think it's the innovator's dilemma, is talks about how new technologies uh, almost always are inadequate relative to the existing technology, but they continue to grow. You talk about this example uh, with uh, horse and buggy versus cars. It was much more convenient and practical to have a horse uh, during the days of the, the Model A Ford, but 
What we know now in retrospect is as you invest in that technology, as the technology continues to improve, continues to mature, as you get the infrastructure for that technology, it can vastly outstrip by orders of magnitude the capacity, the capability of the previous technology. You know, 100%, but here, here, you know, and I'll just add one sentence to that. And so therefore, open your mind. Therefore, embrace what you just said. That has happened throughout history. And so rather than being in this defensive mode, open up and understand what's going on. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Doesn't reflect well on me, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. Okay. I am in the Sun Valley Conference, the Allen and Company storied Sun Valley Conference. It is 1999. There's a gentleman there by the name of Jeff Bezos, uh, and he's making a presentation about this company called Amazon. He was explaining that uh, I'm selling books in the beginning because I'm trying to get the logistics right. All of these books are roughly the same weight and scale and so forth. And so they're easy to package and I can move them around the country or the world. And the only reason why I'm starting with books is that I got to get the logistics right. And now I'm adding all of these SKUs and eventually I'm going to sell everything. And he's explaining his business model and he has this whole manifesto. He doesn't care about quarterly earnings and he's he's going to allocate the capital in a way where he's going to create some accrual accounting, cash accounting losses temporarily until he can scale and get his system up and running. I'm taking notes. This guy is a contemporary of mine. I think we're separated by six days in terms of our age uh, and probably you know, obviously now several hundred billion dollars of net worth. And I'm taking notes. I said, this guy's absolutely brilliant. The next guy to speak is a guy by the name of Warren Buffett. He comes up and he poo-poos the guy named Jeff Bezos. He says, yeah, very nice young man, uh, but I don't get it. You know, Sears Roebuck, it has, Amazon has a larger market capitalization than Sears Roebuck, this company that has real stores and real activity, and he's losing money, and I'm a value investor, and I don't get it, and I wouldn't touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. You know what I did, Ash? I didn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Now, let's go over the math, okay? If you bought Amazon on its IPO in 1997, May 15th of 1997, and you put $10,000 into Amazon 24 short years ago, it's worth $21 million today. $21 million, okay? So a million dollars of Amazon, you're, you're into the $2.1 billion, Okay. Okay, you want to be a billionaire? Go invest in Amazon's IPO with a million dollars and go away for 24 years. And here's what I learned from me telling you that story. Yes, I'm an idiot. Of course, I missed it, okay? But I'm not going to miss this. Ash, are you listening to me? I am not missing this. I am going to participate in this. Will I get some things wrong? Will I misevaluate a security or an asset or a blockchain? Sure. But I'm not going to miss the wave of technology that's happening on planet Earth right now uh, because I am a fuddy-duddy. And wh what do fuddy-duddies do? Well, think about the word FUD or the acronym, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I am not going to be a fuddy-duddy and miss this seismic change in what's happening on planet Earth right now. You know, you just hit on so many of the key themes there about this technology and about investing in this technology. And I wanted to get your feedback, your takeaways from some of this. You know, think about some of the themes, right? So you've got uh, this challenge with uh, companies staying private for longer, more uh, value accruing in the private markets. You've got, look, if you talk about Amazon in the late 90s, uh, you had a 90% max drawdown there and you were underwater for something like 36 or 48 months. I mean, this is a challenging thing uh, to do. In retrospect, if you listen to the Warren Buffett argument, the value versus growth argument, talking about the valuation based on the cash flow, it's not a crazy one. How do you make that shift? How do you think about asset allocation? And how do you just jump your brain uh, into this technology knowing what the risks are? It's about allocation. It's about being propitious and wise. It's about now, let me take the other side of the argument. Let's say Warren Buffett is completely right and Jamie Dimon is completely right and that I've got this completely wrong. Well, how am I sized? And so here's the irony. I put 4% of, not me, but my team, our team put 4% of our fund 
into Bitcoin in November, December of 2020. The coins were anywhere from 13 to 18,000 a coin. Uh, the coins now are 63,000. This is Bitcoin, of course. Bitcoin. The 4% has grown and we've added to the position a little bit, but roughly to 20% of the fund. But it started out at four, maybe now four and a half percent of cost. What do you want to do now? You want to cut it? What would Buffett say? Well, Buffett, the, the Buffett version of the mid 90s, I'm not trading Michael Jordan for four scrubs and calling it diversification. I've got a winner on my hands that has these properties that I think are going to transform the world. So I'm sitting here with that dilemma. Now I'm an institutional investor. And so I have to pare back the position to be prudent. And I will. But I'm also telling my investors, I have a Bitcoin fund. Okay, I'm not going to have Bitcoin eat up the whole core fund of funds. But if you want to put money in my Bitcoin fund, you can roll the money there. But the point being, and we'll have a reasonable, meaningful size of it. But I sized it right. Let's say I got it completely wrong. And let's say I'm still wrong. You know, if you have 4% cost in the position, you have 96 cents or $96 out of $100 that you're working with away from the position, you're not going to put yourself on the hunger line uh, in a position like that. You know, now you've got Bitcoin maximalists and you've got people that, you know, they got 100% of their assets in Bitcoin. Now they may be right, but they also may be wrong. So I am trying to size this appropriately, Ash. You know, and by the way, I think that we're going to be right. But, you know, I have been humbled by the markets. I've been humbled by life. So I'm not sitting here before you with any overconfidence. I'm sitting here before you saying, okay, I've made this rational observation steeped in a lot of fundamental research. And I'm putting my positions on and my assets in a way where hopefully I'm right. And if I am, we'll, we'll, we'll make bank. But if I'm wrong, we're not going to get annihilated. I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about the third point uh, that you made, your third key takeaway from the SALT conference, where you were talking about this idea uh, that we have to not kill each other. You talk about the rising uh, challenges in the South China Sea with Taiwan. What are some of the storm clouds you see on the horizon? Uh, and what is your assessment of them? Well, I mean, I, I think we've lost our way politically. I mean, ultimately, the political class has failed the society. I mean, if we're really just being objective and clear, the political class has been more focused on the preservation of their personal power and less focused on serving the society. And so we have no, you know, let's talk about the U.S. for a second. We have no long-term industrial policy. We have no long-term infrastructure plan. We have no long-term K through 12 right-sizing of our education. Um, we have a dilemma in the country, which we can acknowledge and I can prove to you empirically, where the haves are getting more and the have-nots are uh, the ladder is being pulled up from them and they can't reach the ladder of success the way our parents taught us and the opportunities that were available for us 30 or 40 years ago. And so yeah. um, all of that is fixable. You know, all of that, John Kennedy's best speech among many, I think, was his American University speech in June of 1963. He's like, we drink the same water, we breathe the same air, and our problems are man-made. And again, I'm not trying to be gender specific, but he was right because it was a man's world back then. And so our problems are man-made. They can be solved by men is what he said. But let's rephrase that. They are man-made, but they can be solved by men and women. We can definitely solve these problems, go one at a time, not focus on left or right, but right or wrong. And just what are the common sense practical solutions? Am I going to get the abortion issue right? No, I'm not going to get the abortion issue right. Am I going to get certain issues related to religion and the sociology right? No, we're going to always debate about those. I can give you my opinion of those if you want to hear them, but we're always going to debate about those. But could we get the infrastructure right? Yes. Could we get the policies right? You know, and again, you don't need to hear me opine about politics, but I believe we desperately need a platform of equal opportunity. I am all about unequal outcomes. You want to create Amazon and all that public good and shoot yourself into space in your own rocket? Mazel tov. God bless you. Okay. I hope there are 10 more Jeff Bezoses coming around the block and 20 more Elon Musks. God bless these guys. 
all about unequal outcomes. But if you're born and you didn't pick your parents, I didn't pick my parents. Maybe maybe we did, but we just don't know that. Okay, and we certainly didn't pick our eye size or our genetics or, or whatever our brain chemistry is. But what about giving people a platform of equal opportunity? Okay, so that if all men are quote unquote created equal, all men and women. Well, what if you're born in an indigent area? What if you're born in an inner city? What if you're born to one parent who's struggling to make ends meet? How do we as a wealthy society create this platform of equal opportunity? And I, and I think if we do those things, we can fix every one of these problems. You know, you know and I know we're cooking the environment. Okay, You know that our generation is having a frat party with the environment. And we want our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to live in the frat house on Sunday morning, you know, when the bong water is like spilled on the rug and there's a smell of beer and there's a little bit of vomit in the living room. Uh, and that's what we want to do. We're, 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 we're cooking the place, you know, and we're all environmental hypocrites, okay? Because if you tell me tonight I can fly privately to LA or fly commercially, I'm flying privately, okay? So we're all environmental hypocrites. So, so what are we going to do as a group of people to fix this? You know, one of the things is programmable biology. If you're telling me that that plane ride is not really the issue, it is all the agriculture. You know, 35% of the admissions is coming from us trying to feed ourselves, okay, and making the chickens and making the horses and the cows and all the different things, okay, not that we're eating the horses, but they have been used for agriculture for the last 5,000 years. You, know, you get the point that I'm making, but, but we can fix it. Here's the game plan. Here's the United States' vision for the future. Here's what we're going to do in cooperation. Our par partnership is going to be with the government and the private enterprise system to create the future. And we're not doing that. And we could do that. And it's easy to do. It's not hard to do. But it requires a different ilk of politician, and it also requires less apathy from the American electorate because they have to say, hey, I, you know, Americans have said, OK, these politicians suck. I'm not voting. I'm just going to focus on my family and my business. But, hey, fellas, especially if you're a New Yorker, these politicians are the minority, majority partner of your life. My majority partner is Bill de Blasio, Kathy Hockle, and Joe Biden. Okay, because they're taking fifty three percent of my dough. I'm I'm the minority partner in my own life. Don't you think I should be involved in the hiring decisions? What are you guys doing? Well, no, we're gonna move. Okay, you know what? God bless. You wanna move to Florida? It's a nice place, but I'm a New Yorker. I'm not leaving. I told Spike Lee I'm shutting the lights off on the city. You know, this is my home. So let's fix it. You know, so you don't need to hear me opine about this stuff, but I'm just telling you, it's all right before us. You can go right down the list. Here are practical solutions and decisions that we can make together and we could fix the goddamn thing. I'm much more optimistic about our technology than our politics. Well, that's the greatest irony of all. The technology is going to fix it. A lot of the things we're worried about, the technology is going to super alles come in and fix it. And this is the thing I tell people, don't be too pessimistic because – Tom Malthus in the 1840s said, bad news, man. We're all starving. We're going to outgrow. Our population growth is going to be exponential. We can only grow the food linearly. We're going to starve ourselves. He missed genetically modified foods. He missed irrigation. He missed all of the technological advancements in food production. We now have a bigger problem with obesity-related illnesses than we do with starvation. And that's going to be the case. The, 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 the technology is going to help us, but we're going to be lagging because of the politicians. Okay, we, we, the politicians are going to overly regulate or do things that are costly to us for absolutely no reason. You know, it seems like the one thing that uh, AOC and um, your old uh, rival Steve Bannon agree on is that the country is broken. The opportunity set is not there uh, for middle class Americans. Hundred percent, and 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 that's the anxiety. And so I get the Liz pendants of complaints. You know, I I grew up in a blue collar family, and so I get the chant from Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. Now, unfortunately, they're 
incredibly self-centered narcissists. So they don't really care about those people because they didn't do anything when they had the job to help those people. Okay. They know how to incite anger and they know how to create disruption, but they didn't come up with any long-term common sense policies to help anybody. So, but I get it. I get the fact that, wait a minute, I grew up in an aspirational blue collar family. And these are now economically desperational families and result of which they're upset. I get it. I want, I want to end that of course. And I, and I, you know, I think we have to be careful. I live two miles from my parents and I'm tight with all my cousins, many of which didn't go to college. Some of them are clamming, cutting deli meat, installing auto glass. And you don't want to lose touch with that because you can end up where you're in the salons of the wealthy and you then all of a sudden have all these confirmed biases of the rich people that you're hanging out with and you're missing a big part of what's going on in the country. So you have to, you have to be very, very careful of that. And I would tell you that our elites living in these bubbles, these political elites, they're not, they're not in touch with that. Hillary Clinton missed that. Bernie Sanders sees it. You, You may not like his policies, but he sees the dilemma. Trump sees the dilemma. You may not like him, um, but he sees the dilemma. But these other people, they're not, they're not focused on it. And I think that's of great consequence to us as a group of people. We need to fix that problem. Uh, you will reduce the anger and the populism and the nationalism if you give the people opportunity and you give their children opportunity. They, they will lose all that. That's not their first priority. Trust me. Very well said. Let's switch gears here back to the investing side. Uh, you launched a fund that you announced at, at SALT this year. Uh, this is called the Unlocks Fund, a partnership with NAX. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, and I'm also incredibly interested. You mentioned Silvio McCallie earlier, someone I've interviewed here, Real Vision viewers are familiar with, the uh, founder of the Algorand Protocol. Tell us a little bit about that decision and about that technology. Okay, yeah, let me start with that because then that it dovetails into the fund. So um doing my homework on the blockchain and crypto and bitcoin and ethereum and uh my old boss who used to be the president and chief operating officer of golden tree prior to that he was the president and chief operating officer of newberger berman my old boss uh his name is bob matza he introduced me to silvio and to the algorand guys because he said to me listen the trilemma the blockchain trilemma of the transaction speeds, the security, the uh, decentralization, all three of those properties are solved by Algorand. And I want you to meet with Silvio and I want you to meet with his team. And so I did that. We did a six-month deep dive into what they're doing and understanding what they're doing. I happened to sit on the board of Unlocks, which is actually the exchange portion of the new asset exchange holding group. So we've got three or four different things. We have something called watercolor, which is for the art world. It's fractionalizing art. It's creating a liquid uh, lending facility for people that are buying art in the art world. Uh, We have something um, uh, in the insurance, in the reinsurance space that we're doing. And what unlocks is, is we're identifying assets that have typically been locked and we're unlocking them. So what would be that? That would be your frequent flyer mileage on you pick the airline. If you're flying American or Delta, you're accruing miles. You may or may not be using them. They're on Delta's balance sheet marked as a liability. And for whatever reason, you're not using them, but you can't unlock them. You know, you... What if we created a coin that uh, you could take those miles out of your account in exchange for this coin, and then this coin had some universality to it where you could buy groceries or you could buy something with, in other words, there's a liability for Delta. They want to extinguish that liability. We give you a coin, you know, it, it, it. we get the liability back. I can trade it to Delta at a discount and or a premium, you know, depending on the arbitrage. And there you go. Well, what would be the best blockchain to use for something like that? In my opinion, it would be Algorand. 
ultimately, if you understand Algorand, the integrity of the system, the fact that it's been up and has never faltered like Solana, Ethereum, and others, and it's got the speeds, security, it's got all of these great technical properties because of Silvio. And since you've interviewed him, you know how brilliant he is and you know that he's created this um, brilliant uh, innovation. Um, no, as he would say, he stood on the shoulders of Satoshi, okay, and others. And he tweaked this thing so that I think this is going to be a very big part of our future. And so will Ethereum have a big, robust community? Certainly. Solana looks like it'll get there. Uh, will Algorand get there? Yes. I think they probably misfired on their launch and they probably had the wrong people that were dumping on them uh, when they got the thing launched. But I think they got the right people now. And so what I did was as chairman of Unlocks, I went to the Unlocks guys and to Silvio and I said, I want to raise a fund, algo-based fund that participates. Well, be long algos for sure, but we'll also buy into some of these other applications and some of these uh, initial coin offerings that will be based on algo. Uh, we've raised $100 million so far. Uh, I'm capping the fund at $250 million. I'm hoping to have that done by December 1st. I've been out on the road articulating this to people. We're going to take orders and hopefully close December 1 uh, and launch that fund. Uh, and and to me, I've got a Bitcoin fund. I have an Ethereum fund, and we will soon have an Algo fund. And I think those are three major uh blockchains, cryptocurrencies that are going to win and design the future. And for our Real Vision subscribers, I would encourage you to go back and take a look at this interview with Silvio McCallie. Look, obviously, none of us have any crystal balls. We don't know the winners in advance. Uh, but Silvio McCallie is just an absolutely brilliant individual MIT professor, winner of the Turing Prize, which is like the Nobel Prize of computer science. Uh, this is a guy who did novel work on the mathematics during the 1980s and 90s. Uh, before we had these technologies, he was involved working on the math uh, for things called zero knowledge proofs and other cryptographic primitives. It's a fascinating interview and one that I would encourage everyone to go and take a look at just to get a sense of what this technology is all about, because it is very different fundamentally uh, from the algorithms at play in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think it's well said. And again, we don't know everything. And I'm not pretending to know everything. And I'm also recognize everything that we're talking about has lots of risk to it and uncertainty. And to quote Donald Rumsfeld, there are so many unknown unknowns. So I'm not sitting at any level of certainty. I'm just giving you the benefit of our research and our, and our perspective. Anthony, as we come to the end of this conversation, I know it's been a conversation about takeaways, but what are some of the key points that you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, I think I, you know, I, I, want, I want to leave them with what I started with, you know, which is always be learning. Don't uh, become intellectually arrogant and close your mind off to opposing ideas. Um, make sure that you force yourself out of your comfort zone in life. And, you know, I have a buddy of mine. He's a multi-billionaire. He's 86 years old. He doesn't even use email. Use the email. <laughs> Take advantage of the technology that's before you. You know, don't close yourself off. Uh, and the last thing, which is super important to me, is you got to have some fun in life. You know, we had the chain smokers at Salt. You know, I want you to come, Ash, to learn something, meet somebody that's going to help your business, but I also want to have some fun, you know? And so, I mean, don't take the damn thing so seriously. You know, what, what did Mel Brooks say? Relax. None of us are getting out of this alive. Relax. Okay. You know, just, you know, enjoy your life. I think that is the number one thing. You know, when I got bounced from the White House, I guess people wanted me to be really upset and down on myself and they wanted me to wake up in the morning and kick myself in the pants every morning and say, oh, you did something stupid at the White House, you got yourself fired. Who cares? Who cares? Go forward. So if you're listening to this and you did something stupid in your life and you're waking up saying, oh, geez, I did X, Y, Z stupid, stop kicking yourself in the pants, you know, whether it's a divorce or a you know, you didn't do well in school or you got fired from a job or whatever. Who cares? 
That's my message. You know, today's a great day. Let's move forward. Let's, let's, let's attack the day. Perfect note to end on, Anthony. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for watching, everybody. Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on Real Vision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because Real Vision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo at realvision.com.